That's one of my favorite hymns. Isn't that beautiful? I hope that spoke to you. Stephanie is back at the back to grab the Bible boxes for those of you with children, if you want to meet her back there. The rest of us, let's take our Bibles and turn to Psalm 19, the book of Psalms, the hymn book of the Old Testament. And we're going to do the 19th Psalm, which is the Psalm of David. This is the third Sunday of Lent. We're almost halfway through the 40 days in preparation for Easter and for what it means for Jesus to need to come as we look at what the world is and and how God communicates to us. Psalm 19 is very well known. Uh, As we read it, you'll, of course, recognize many of the verses. They're often hanging on our walls as we attempt to live this life that honors God with everything that we are. And I want to focus particularly on where he ends the psalm in talking about the words of our mouths. In the ancient world, uh, words were thought to have a life of their own. Once you spoke them, you can't take them back. They're going to do whatever it is they're going to do. And they're going to do whatever it was that the heart thought and desired whenever it spoke those words in whatever uh, tone of voice or body inflection or intention it goes out and it does for good or for bad the words that we say once we speak them they have power and so many many warnings are given throughout scripture to consider what we say before we say it and the power of words and the power as we'll see here in psalm 19 talks about how we can use words to bless or we can use words to curse. That we can use words to heal or we can use words to harm. In that context, I think of the physician's oath to first do no harm. Ancient, ancient oath. I think of that when I read the admonition that David makes here at the end of our Psalms when he says, May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Yet, how often do the words of our mouths not please God? What happens when the meditations of our hearts are ones of harm to those around us? And I'm not just thinking about the obvious ways in which we use our mouths to slander or to gossip or to criticize or to uh, curse another person. James takes care of that and he states it all too clearly. When he says in chapter 3, after noting that we all stumble in many ways and that anyone who is never at fault in what they say is telestoi, that wonderful word of completion, mature, perfect. But then he says, but no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouths come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water 
come from the same spring? Now, I've only known a very few human beings who actually excuse their gossip or excuse their cursing of another individual. Most of us recognize, whether we are Christian or not, that that comes from a darkness that we don't want in our lives, and we certainly don't want in our relationship, and we certainly don't want in our world. It's a, a poisoned spring. And we work hard to remove them from our lives. I, I think that gossip and, and criticizing, cursing others is something that it would be very good for us to focus on during the season of Lent. Uh, not just removing chocolate or coffee or something, but real damage to other human beings. What what happens when we allow our lives to think that and then sometimes to say that? But what's even more common in, in uh, Christian life, I think, rather than being those kind of critical and gossipy and, and uh, slanderous kind of people, is we often have a well-intentioned word, a word we thought might help, but instead it inflicts harm. And so I bring us back to this ancient medical phrase that physicians are taught to consider. First, how do we at least not make something worse? The very least, we shouldn't harm someone when we're trying to help them. And we've all seen that in a whole variety of settings. Perhaps there's a, a disagreement and you're trying to work it through and suddenly in an attempt to explain one's position because you're feeling some weakness in your position, you cut to the very heart of the other person and you put them down individually. You make it personal as we describe it and you attack their self-esteem or their self-worth just to win an argument. Or perhaps we've seen it in a moment of jest. We're trying to lift the mood, perhaps, of a, of a difficult moment, but our words poke fun at and tease our friend or our child or our spouse. And they laugh as their heart bleeds. Or perhaps in an attempt to chastise or to correct or to simply give advice our words push the other person further away from God, further away from us and from family, from health. It's that reality that David expresses in our Psalms today. It's the blindness to what we ourselves can actually do with our words that can cause great harm. And we don't see it because we're blind to what effect we're having on the persons in our lives. It's hidden not from others, but from ourselves. Sins that rule over us, perhaps, sins that come from dark places that spring up within us in these moments where we want to somehow gain the advantage or some other thing. And so he ends with a prayer asking us that our words and our meditations may be pleasing. So that's the prayer that we want to focus on today. And we want to think about it in terms of the complexity of what it is to truly use our words and our meditations to heal rather than to harm. So let's turn Psalm 19, a Psalm of David, and let's listen to what uh, God has to say to us. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. 
Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Now keep that open before you as we study this beautiful psalm. Let's pray. Father, one of the greatest gifts you gave to your humanity us created in your image is the ability to communicate, to really share our innermost thoughts with each other and with you, to be able to express love so the beloved knows how we feel and that we we care about them. And yet, Father, these same mouths can also cause great harm, and they can come from a different place than love. So be with each of us. We're here today because we want to be instruments of your peace, your healing, your love in this world. And so be with each of us. We're here. We're open before you. Where we're hiding things from ourselves, we give you permission to expose those to us so that we can see ourselves more clearly. And then we trust you to help us change. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the things I love about David's poetry is that he uses parallelism all the way through. But this one, he especially is uh, wonderful poetry because he uses parallel paradox to describe complexity that it would be hard for us to understand would he not use uh, poetry. An example of that is found in these first three verses when he says the same thing in two ways. Parallelism, as you know, is to state something from one perspective then to state it from another. Here I give the example of a flower. When you look at a flower from the top, you would describe it in a certain way. When you look at it from the side, you would describe it in another way. Both of them together give you a better understanding of what that flower looks like or that truth that we're exploring together. And of course, paradox is a powerful thing. It's a recognition that Sometimes things that appear to be contradictory at a simple level, when you look more deeply at the complex level, 
you recognize that there's more going on here uh, than we at first understood and that seemingly contradictory statements are in fact not contradictory. They are parallel, enlightening, helping us understand something that we could not have understood. Paradox reveals complexity in its simplicity. So looking at Psalm 19, we see this paradoxical parallelism when David writes this. The heavens declare the glory of God. And then in parallel thought, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. And day after day they pour forth speech. And again in parallel, night after night they reveal knowledge. Then keeping the parallel form, he inserts a paradoxical statement about this main topic, that of God speaking through creation. And he says, they have no speech. They use no words. And in parallel, no sound is heard from them. Yet, he says, their voice goes out into all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. Now, it's easy to see that God's words, especially when he speaks to us through creation itself, is very complex. It's very paradoxical. Yet all of creation declares, proclaims, pours forth speech, revealing knowledge of the creative nature of a God that would make all of this in all of its complexity and its simplicity. And so we have this knowledge as to who he is and what he's done and what he said. Yet, he says, their voice that goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. When you begin to understand that this complexity of God speaking through nature is something that's difficult for, under, for us to understand unless we understand poetry itself. But now, let's think back into our own lives. Everything you are and everything you do communicates to the people around you. Every day and every night reveals knowledge about us. Even when we use no words and make no sounds, we communicate. Whether it's a rolling of the eyes or a dismissive gesture or a grimace of the face or just a silence that will not engage. I often wonder if in fact we injure one another more by that paradoxical silence than we do by the words that we actually say. For we have cut off communication in that moment. And the sounds of silence are deafening in the relationship. So it's very complex for us to understand how God communicates to us through nature. And it's very complex to understand how we communicate through silence. But David, but David goes on in his poem. We're going to skip on down to verse 7, probably the best known portion of Scripture. And again, it's all in parallel. He writes, The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. And then in parallel thought, The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. And verse 8, The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. And the parallel the commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. Verse 9, the fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. And the decrees of the Lord are firm. All of them are righteous. And then finally, verse 10, they are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. 
and the parallel. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. Now we can see that David has moved from natural revelation, God speaking to us through what he's made, to special revelation, where he actually uses words to describe to us what he expects. And so we have the decrees, the statutes, the expectations in the word of God as it's written down, the expectations as it comes from the mouth of God in Jesus, the word made flesh. And so he goes from this natural revelation, which has all kinds of paradoxical nature to it, to actual words that communicate to us what he expects and how he expects it. Now you can see that this is also the purpose then of our mouths. Our lives may communicate. Our silence may be paradoxical. We may always be engaging with others no matter whether we're speaking or not. But when we talk, when we use these mouths, we are either blessing or harming the others in our lives. To speak the truth that is worth more than gold Blessings that are sweeter than honey. To let the words of our mouths, the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to God, pleasing to others, pleasing, nourishing to ourselves. We not only do no harm, but we become an instrument of God to bless and to care. One of the reasons we stop in the middle of the service and pass the peace that is intended to be a moment where you bless your fellow members, your beloved, where you give them the shalom of God. You ask that God will be with them and care for them and provide for them. It's in that relationship that we bless and care for the people of our lives. So that takes us back to where we began. And it takes us to a moment of reflection on our own lives. Let's each one consider whether our mouths have been used this week. Don't go back far, just this week. Has our mouth been used as God created it to be used? Do we speak truth in love? Do we bless and not curse? Do we speak love in our silence? Are our words golden and sweet? Are people enriched and nourished by our conversation? Let's spend time paradoxically listening to what God has to say to us.